Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Odafest podcast with me, Nancy, and Angelo. It's me, Angelo. And still, suspiciously, no J. The J-pocalypse continues. We miss him dearly. He's going to be so mad when he finds out what we've been talking about for the last three weeks. Oh my god, he will be. <laughs> oh, it'll be wonderful. But before we get into that... Get your weekend passes at the early bird price of $58 and 69 nice cents. Please go to odafest.com. They're going up soon in price again, so don't delay and get yours today. Now, I think we promised in the most threatening sense that when Jay was away, we were going to talk about keyboards nonstop. We unintentionally we did because i ended up giving you all those parts yes it wasn't planned it wasn't planned but we basically built the conversation into our lives yeah yeah we did and um thank goodness for that because it's been a very good conversation thus far so if you've missed out on the last two episodes please go back listen to them at 1.5 times speed and get caught up because we're going to wrap up this trilogy today Yes, I have finally, finally built the keyboard. The keyb is mine. Of your dreams? Please tell me it's of your dreams. It is ridiculously good. It is better than I thought it would be. Do you believe the hype now when I tell you about my very strong opinions about keyboards? Oh, absolutely. Like, I knew that good keyboards could be very nice, uh, and I've built exactly one custom keyboard in the past but this one that was about five or six years ago that was a, that was quite a while ago now that i think about it that was definitely over six years ago this one blows it out of the water in every single way so now, remind me what kind of custom keyboard did you make previously it was i think the pcb was called an ok60 it was a 60% keyboard, uh, so 60% size means that you have your number row at the top up to the backspace, and then it goes down to like your control at the bottom, and you have your regular QWERTY layout or whatever layout you like. No F row, no escape key, no print screen buttons, no insert or delete buttons, no arrow buttons, no number pad. So it was a nice small keyboard, and the main goal of it was to have a gaming keyboard that leaves more of your desk free for big old swings of your mouse in Overwatch or Valorant or anything else. Very fair. Very and fair. it used Cherry Browns. The gateway switch. Which are a nice, a nice entry level switch. Mm -hmm. I was actually quite happy with them. Uh, and the the firmware was exceptionally uh, exceptionally extensible. You could do anything with it. It was crazy. I'm pretty sure you could install Linux on that thing if you wanted to. <laughs> Unfortunately for you, the LED pattern on that keyboard wasn't enough of a resolution to install Doom on it and play there. Unfortunately not. Unfortunately <laughs> not. Now, this new keyboard changes a couple things that I really like. The first thing, the first thing that I love about this is that it has USB-C ports instead of uh, micro-USB. Two of them. 
two of them, in fact. So you can plug it into the left side or the right side of the keyboard. Now, not only does that make plugging in the keyboard nicer, and quite frankly, having a replaceable cable on keyboard is already a premium feature. Uh, even on the old keyboard, I was happy with the mini USB that it had. But point remains, this one's newer, this one's nicer. I don't have to keep old cables around now. So it has USB-C. The case that I bought is so ridiculously heavy that it will not slide around on my desk at all. I feel like if I have to push the keyboard around, like I'm trying, I'm putting effort into this. You know, with some really lightweight keyboards, especially like your very lightweight plastic memory and Microsoft keyboards that you buy for $20 oh, yeah. at the source. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's the free keyboard that you get whenever you buy like anything. If you are intensely gaming, if you are pressing W and running down the enemy, sometimes you'll be pushing your keyboard away from yourself. Oh, yeah. And that is exceptionally annoying. That will <laughs> not be a problem with this thing. It feels no. like it weighs 10 pounds. I, I'm sure it's not exactly 10 pounds, but yeah, it's a hefty boy. It is a hefty, hefty boy. Furthermore, the lighting on it. Okay. I understand that uh, it's almost become a meme for computer accessories to have unicorn vomit RGB everywhere. <laughs> it's true. I used to be, long, long ago, I used to be an RGB hater. I used to be like, oh, why would you spend so much money spending, uh, uh, getting all this one, all these RGB fans and LED strips and controllers and keyboards and mice and power supplies and desks and desk mats and monitor backers. I used to think that if you had the money for that, put it into the performance of the PC so you get ultimately a much better computer. That's still a valid thing to do. That's still 100% valid. But... Now that I have a little bit more disposable income, I like pretty things. Don't we all? Yeah. Don't we so all? RGB all the things. And so with this, it has per key RGB lighting plus a nice RGB underglow. I can change it so that the keys are a different brightness than the underglow, so the underglow can be really bright and the keys can be really dim, mm -hmm. or vice versa if I don't like my keyboard looking like a UFO. Uh-huh. I get either choice, and that's amazing. That's wonderful. On top of that, I just really love the way that it sounds and the way that it feels. So along with the PCB, Along with the, the circuit board of the keyboard itself, Nancy also, also presented unto me this dense foam that goes between the keyboard PCB and the top plate of the case. With the point of this foam being that it absorbs uh, uh, vibrations, dampening them, but also makes it so the cavernous space between the PCB and the top uh, plate of the keyboard isn't an echo chamber, a, a literal echo chamber. Correct. Now, I haven't heard what it sounds like without the foam, so I'm not sure how much of a difference it's actually making, but I'm certain it's there because this keyboard is so 
ridiculously quiet. I I think I'll do a little demonstration of of the difference that it makes. So this this next sound is going to be my old keyboard, a Logitech G610 that I bought probably six or eight years ago. And uh, it's just, it's what's called a cherry red linear switch. And it's, it's... Rattly. It is rattly. It is, quite frankly, your typical keyboard sound. Hmm. There's, there's nothing particularly special about it. I wouldn't say that it's particularly awful. It is a keyboard. Mm-hmm. It is what you expect. As opposed to my new keyboard. Ooh. Golly. Much more silent. Much, much more silent. It is not as high-pitched. It's not rattly. It sounds solid. Mm-hmm. And on top it of that... It sounds attractive. The feeling of it. It is the <laughs> kind of keyboard where I found myself, like, when I'm not typing anything, I'll mm-hmm. unplug it and just go, like, boop, beep, boop, beep, beep, boop, boop. <laughs> That might just be like the new toy effect coming in, you know? Maybe, but I personally am very pleased I've created a little mini Angelo monster because it's <laughs> So when when I uh when I replaced a bunch of parts in my keyboard and uh to be honest, the PCB really didn't need replacing. That was just that was just a personal thing. Like I just I wasn't unhappy with that PCB at all. I actually just wanted the foam. But if you bought the foam and the new version of the PCB, it was cheaper. So I was like, I mean, I don't need to upgrade the PCB. I would have just gotten the foam. Perfectly honest, the foam was enough for what I was looking for for my keyboard. So the PCB and the foam was cheaper than just the foam? Uh, it was cheaper per piece, right? Like, you okay, got a okay. bit of a bundle discount on it. So this was a special that they had when they launched the V2. They were like, here's some foam. Here's, like, a V2 of the PCB. And here are some uh, new stabilizers that, again, I didn't really need. But as a bundle, it was worth the discount. So I got the bundle, and it was on sale because I was upgrading as a previous customer. Fair. So, you know, it was, it was just worth it. And, like, they're perfectly good parts. I have zero reason to throw them out. So, of course, uh, the little gremlin named Angelo I saw, I was going to see that weekend. We were going to hang out and go to one of the Japanese markets that were uh, springing up kind of around Calgary. And they've kind of been springing up around everywhere, which I really love to see. But that one in particular, we had made plans to go meet up at. So I was like, I know what I'm going to do. With these extra pieces, I'm going to dangle them in front of Angelo. And then I'm going to see what he's going to make because I know that he could take a whole bunch of spare parts and make something fun out of it. So honestly, the fact that you were like, no, I'm not going to go and try and make my own ghetto case. I'm going to go and actually just, you know, buy buy a one from Drop. And you got a case that oh, yeah. is extremely durable, very nice. Uh, you got the high-profile version, which I have the low-profile version of. You got some really cute, nice keycaps to go I on top of your switches. Like, everything so that you much. did was just like, oh, I'm creating a little monster. It's great. 
I love these keycaps so much. So the case itself is a nice deep bronze color. It's a nice deep bronze color. The keycaps are a nice pastel green and a deep green as a as an accent. And they're matcha themed. So like the enter key has has a nice little graphic of Mount Fuji. The backspace says matcha on it. And then I've got a bunch of little accent keys that's like a cookie, a little boba, a cake, an ice cream. Oh my god. They make my heart go doki doki. And that makes me happy. It is so fun. And of course, obviously, the main reason why I did all of this is, is for language learning, of course. Yes, it's not obviously. It's the full hiragana uh, uh, lexicon, alphabet. What would you call it? Character set? On is the it the hiragana the one or the katakana? It, it's hiragana. Hiragana? So it's a hiragana yes. alphabet then? And uh, while I have done the Japanese input on my laptop, I haven't done that on my desktop yet. But mm-hmm. as soon as I do, I can be typing up a storm in Japanese. I'll have no idea what I'm typing. <laughs> I won't know what I'm saying. But goddamn, will I have fun typing it. It will sound and feel amazing. There is actually something to be said about using a keyboard that brings you that deeper level of joy. Oh, yes. I, for a little while longer, there are certain activities that I still need my other uh, keyboard for. Just because there's certain projects that I have where a lot of hotkeys are on the number pad. Mm. But uh, once I get all things situated, I won't need that anymore. Excellent. Yes. I look forward to full assimilation of all of your activities onto your new keyboard. (laughs) Yes. It's a keyboard perfect for activities. Indeed. Look at all the sound and uh, aesthetic for all these activities. Yes. Yes. (laughs) But, you know, okay, so now you've, you've completed this journey for a keyboard. It is now exactly how you like it. It looks great. It feels great. It sounds great. What are you going to move on to next? Are you going to have like a project hangover or are you going to do something else? You see, Nancy, a battle station is never done. Mm. A battle station is never complete. And by by battle station, that is nerd lingo for your office desk, you understand. Yes, Nancy understands that. I'm I'm telling you, the viewer, this. Uh, A battle station is never complete. So my mouse is broken. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, hold on. Okay, we went from uh, my keyboard is kind of janky. I wasn't really looking for an upgrade, but Nancy gave me all these parts and now I've made something wonderful out of it. And now we're going straight into my mouse is broken. Okay. My God. So this is just something that's that's funny. Uh, the mouse that I have, it's the Logitech G703. And I... I'm really fond of this mouse. I like the way that it holds. It's wireless, but it's it's good. The battery lasts for a long time. And they give you a nice cable that will charge it and run it at the same time. It's, it is, for the most part, a smartly made mouse. But this mouse has a problem. And it is such a big problem that this is now my second of the exact same mouse. And that is that after about two years of use, the scroll wheel will start skipping. So when you when you roll your scroll wheel, you feel that little bump. It goes up, 
It goes down. It's very nice. But when it doesn't go up, if you're trying to scroll up and it just hangs in the same area, or even worse, if you scroll up and it starts going down, what the hell is going on? It's so frustrating. It makes it a chore to use your computer. And it got so annoying that I eventually learned how to fix it. So in the first iteration of this mouse that I had, I had to open it up. There was There's four screws on the bottom that I have to open up, open up the mouse, disconnect the battery, and then unhook a ribbon cable so that I can get the top of the mouse separated from the bottom of the mouse. And with that comes the mouse wheel to what is called a rotary encoder. And that's just a thing that spins in a rotary fashion and encodes it for digital things. What happens is the wheel has a little axle that goes to the rotary encoder. And that axle has a hexagon shape to it. That makes it so when the axle spins, it brings the rotary encoder with it. Oh, so it's kind of like a really tiny Allen key. Exactly. Ah. And what happens is over time, just the tiny little tolerances grind that down to the point where it no longer catches in the encoder. Weird and bad. Very bad. It sucks. But the fix is simple. You need to fill the gap between the axle and the rotary encoder. I have found that the best material, the best method of doing this, is taking a tiny little piece of paper and wrapping it around the axle and jamming it in the encoder, and then you're done. That's, that is is 100%, I will admit, the first thing I would have tried. I probably would have tried either a like a slightly softer material, like like paper towel or like a Kleenex, I probably would have done that. Yes. Now, that works for about a month and a half. And then it stops. Cause and then, then so you have to open it back up and do it all again. Do it again, yeah. Mm-hmm. I tried gluing it. I tried making it so that I would glue the axle to the rotary encoder with like some contact cement or something else like super glue it never actually worked and in one case i actually froze the encoder and i had to chip the glue away mm. it wasn't good so no hot glue no hot glue dang it that's and what i was so going to suggest i was living i was living with that state of affairs opening my mouse up every couple months to replace the paper and that was fun. That was a good time. Whatever. I had a mouse that was working. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then the left button of the first mouse died. Oh. Now, I opened it up just because I was used to it at this point to take a look. And uh, the mouse button was just, it's, it's, it's a button. And I had a thought. I had a really old razor mouth mouse lying around. Could I unsolder a button from there and put it in this mouse? Long story short, yes, I could. Oh my god. So I did that. You just Frankensteined a mouse. Oh yes. 
it was fantastic. Uh, it did feel a little bit different, but it worked. It would, yeah. For about two months. No. And I counted it. To get to the switch that I had to unsolder and replace was three ribbon cables and 25 screws in a mouse. Is there even room in there for 25 screws? I don't know. Somehow. They're, are they like the itty bitty ones that you have on glasses? Like Exactly. Oh. They're such a pain in the butt. So when the switch died for the second time, I opened up my drawer to the guts of the razor mouth that mouse that I used. I still have those guts. And I was like, do I really want to? <laughs> Do I really we, want to go through this all again? So you Frankensteined a whole other Switch? No. I gave up and I bought the exact same mouse a second time. No, I you was did thinking, not. surely, surely. Surely it was such a it was just a batch problem, right? No. So it's, it's been never. about two years since I replaced this mouse. And the scroll wheel is once again going. You know where this is going. Save yourself the heartache. I Get a not, different mouse. I. The problem is I really like this mouse. Why can't you get one of the other Logitechs? The problem is that at this point, I've come to the conclusion that Logitech mice suck. Which is a real shame because I'm also of the uh, opinion that razor mice are absolute trash. They're manufactured e-waste. And this is really distressing because the razor mice are so comfortable. The, the razor death adder is the most comfortable mouse I've ever used. And I don't buy them anymore because they break in a year. The Logitech mice, I enjoy their software. I think the mice are very good. They work very well. And they break in two years. What's a man to do? Buy a different Logitech mouse. I don't know. I think what I need to do is uh, is go to like some going out of business, some business that has existed for 40 years and I have to dig through their garbage. And I think I have to get like one of those Microsoft ball mice from the late 90s, early 2000s. I think those stopped being made around mm -hmm. 2003 or 2004. Probably. I have to get I one mean of those because they're immortal. They, they are. They're also horrible little dust magnets. And they're not accurate at all. No, they're not. Like, but it's they are really mortal. easy to. Yeah. They're like the IBM Model M of the mouse world. They are. And I, I don't know. I would make the joke that you should go and find, like, an original IBM mouse, except those ones don't have front and back buttons. They don't have a scroll wheel. They don't they have a just... USB port. No, they, they don't had... even have what's called a PS2 port. Was this before the PS2 era? Yes. Oh. They had an A. Uh, I can't remember if it was an AT port or XT port. I can't remember it... what they called it. Was it the one with 16 pins? It was not 16 pins. Those not 16 pins. There were nine pin serial port mice that existed. But a lot of the early IBM mice... Uh, for the AT motherboards, they had what looked like a MIDI connector. Oh, fun. Yes. I think they called it an AT 
connector. But I have I'm not to go certain. confirm that later. Having that said, I have all the adapters for that sitting in a box. Dear goodness, you really do have something for everything. We used to carry them at ra- at the source, and uh, I shouldn't be recording this. Haha, ha, recording your crimes. When they were slated to be uh, removed from stock, when we were writing them all off, when we were not going to carry them anymore, they had to go to the garbage can. So after we put them in the garbage can, I then went uh, dumpster diving. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> so if I needed to, I have all the parts to go from an XT mouse to a PS2 mouse to a USB mouse and back. <laughs> that is a confusing chain of adapters, I have to tell you. And I know what each of them looks like. You're better off building one of those, uh, you know, when you're a kid and you build a, a full stick out of Lego, you just take one of like like several of the same size brick and you just stack it until you get a stick. That's basically what it kind of looks like, except you oh, run yeah. out of pieces that are the same. So you start munging them together. It's wonderful. It's it's stu- a stupid amount of fun. That's I great. did it just once for the hell of it. I had a PS2 mouse that I wanted to plug into a USB port. Mm-hmm. So I went from PS2 to mm-hmm. XT, from XT back to PS2 to USB, and plugged it into the computer, and it stuck out about nine inches from the PC. That sounds about right. I laughed, and it worked. And it worked. It I worked. would fully expect it to work. It might have a bit of lag, depending on what kind of adapters you had, but it's probably fine and didn't even notice. Oh, yeah. It was stupid fun. I unplugged yeah. it immediately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would do. Ah. Uh, speaking of things that are fun, uh, let's talk about things that are completely not tech-related. We're going to give them a break from nerd stuff? Yes, we can give them a break from nerd stuff. We can talk about some holiday stuff. Oh. So... Anyone who knows me knows that I really like going for high tea. There's just something about those delightful little china teacups and having, like, effectively a pyramid of food placed in front of you. And you start from the bottom and you eat your way up. And it's it's lovely. Uh, and one of the, my favorite places to go every year is probably Dean House. Because you get to walk through their uh their winter garden which you know is is mostly asleep by now but you can still see where everything was and how everything's gonna wake up again and there's just something really ephemeral and nice about that and then you get into the actual dean house and it's all sectioned off into different salons so you've got like an upstairs you've got a dining room out in the front you have several nooks and crannies with which you could be seated to eat and those are all very lovely for their holiday high tea this year, I just had it this morning. As of this recording, I literally just had it. I am still digesting it. They have a wonderful slight reimagining of everything. So they have cucumber sandwiches. Very lovely. Um, egg salad sandwiches. Also very lovely. A favorite but of mine. I know. I love those. Especially uh, the the egg sandos uh, from... Yes. Family Mart and 7-Eleven. They both had very good ones in Japan. So, 
And we can talk about Japan in a little bit, too, because we actually tried to put a photo book together. More on that in a bit. Um, and so, you know, those are like your two classic finger sandwiches. And then they went the extra mile as they do. They have, uh, if you can imagine, the savory version of a, uh, a cream puff. So there's, oh. there's a very slight crispy pastry, and then on the inside of it is braised beef. It's a braised tenderloin on the inside. Oh, my. And then it's covered with, like, this crispy out, outer shell, and then on top of it is just a little tiny dollop of caramelized onion. Just a little bit. Oh, that sounds heavenly. And And then they've got, like... You know, they have a little biscuit. Like, and, and when I say biscuit, imagine the little uh, cheddar cheese biscuits that I think you can get with lobster very often. Like those thick biscuits that are round. There's cheddar cheese inside them. They're, they're not super dry and crumbly, but they're also not super moist. But they have one of those. And then they've got like a nice salmon on top of it. And you're like, oh, these are really, really lovely. Very Wait, like... On top of... I don't know why, but I'm suddenly like, the way that you were describing the biscuit sounds like the Cheddar Bay biscuits from Red Lobster, except maybe yeah. a little bit better. Yeah. But then you see the salmon on top of it, and I'm just thinking one of those Cheddar Bay biscuits with a giant chunk of salmon on top, like some westernized uh, nigiri sushi. That's kind of what I was thinking when I had it. I'm so <laughs> delighted that Angelo came to that conclusion entirely separately from my experience because that's exactly what I was thinking when I was eating it. I was eating it because it's they're all bite-sized. I pop it in my mouth and I'm just like, this is like a Western nigiri because it's salmon on top, but it's obviously prepared in a very Western way. It's um, It's been shredded. It was pre-cooked. You know, they've added like a, a creamy sauce to it. So it's a bit more... Kind of like if you had tuna salad, but it's salmon and it's delightful. It's lovely. It's fluffy. And then it's on top of this biscuit. And you're like, yeah, yeah, this is this is delightful. It's kind of like a Western nigiri. I can just imagine some salty, grizzly sailor in New England. He's just came home from his catch and he's like, he's talking to his wife and he's like, oh, you got those Cheddar Bay biscuits. Yes. I I was watching the Japanese TV and they take their nice starchy rice and they put the fish right on it. I think that we could do that with our nice starchy biscuits. I don't know. It sounds so absurd. <laughs> but I suppose it's weird to even compare it because you could say it's closer to like a uh, bagel with locks. Yes. Bagel with locks also probably played a good you know, inspiration to it too, because it was like a very creamy salmon. It was kind of like, it was either mayo or cream cheese or something, but they really, it was like a salmon mousse, I think is how they described it. Okay. But it, but it was just, it was creamy. It was light. It was fluffy. It's like they took salmon and they whipped it with cream cheese. It was just, mm. I love the thought of that. It's just, you know, they have that. And then it's on like a big dollop of it. And then it's on top of a, a cheddar biscuit. And you're just like, mm, I could have like 10 of these. Nice. And that would be dinner. Uh, and then, you know, on the op on the top layer of your little pyramid, you've got all the sweets. And I love that they've they've reimagined a lot of the flavors. So, for example, you get uh, standard part of a lot of high teas. You get macaron. Oh, and wonderful. 
These ones are, they're candy cane shaped instead of round. They're green and they taste of of like a very uh, genuine peppermint. Like they taste very minty. Like they taste almost like like you're eating a mint leaf instead of just like the mint extract that you would find in candies and that you would find in like baked goods. I love that, especially if it was like peppermint as opposed to regular mint. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it just has that extra little kick in there. It's so nice. Yeah, and and like I'm pretty sure it was peppermint. I was having a hard time deciding if it was spearmint or peppermint, but it was definitely one of the two. I'm guessing it's peppermint because it's candy cane shaped. Yeah. But like it obviously tasted like real mint. I love that. It's then like, I recommend that you go. <laughs> it's the difference that you can get like between eating like a candy or toothpaste. Toothpaste. <laughs> and having like a mojito, you know? <laughs> no. It's like, let's compare a mojito with toothpaste. Well, no. one of those objectively makes your life better. Look, I've had people tell me they don't like mint simply because they don't like the way toothpaste tastes. And, like, to me, that seems like a very disjointed thing to think because that's like saying you don't like orange because you don't like orange-flavored cough syrup. True. But, like, I'd like mint because toothpaste. Toothpaste tastes great. Toothpaste is not a very offensive taste to me. That doesn't mean that all people like the taste of toothpaste, but also you're not supposed to swallow it anyway. The only reason that I'm not just, like, taking a big swig of water, swishing it all in my mouth, and swallowing it all at once is because that's literally poison. Yeah, don't do that. That's that's poison. Don't do that. Don't do that. Especially... Fluoride is great for your teeth and horrible for the rest of you. Uh, yes, agree. That's why fluorides are rinses or in toothpastes, which are things that you spit out when you're done brushing your teeth. Exactly. Anyway, so that was one of my highlights. The other highlight that I'll point out from their delightful assortment of sweet things on the top tray um, was a homemade, well, I can't call it homemade. It's it's made in-house. Let's say that. It's in-house made marshmallow. It's shaped like a cloud instead of your standard, like, these are marshmallows that you put in hot chocolate, for example. But they are flavored with cloves. Oh, my God. And it is so freaking delightful. Like, I just bit into it, and I'm like, I am not a marshmallow gal, but I I stuffed the whole thing in my mouth. It was so good. The difference between, like, your store-bought marshmallows that you buy in a bag and you stuff all of them in your mouth at once playing Chubby Bunny. (laughs) Yes! And, like... Real fresh made marshmallows is insane. I they just, are incomparable. I, they I are cannot, different sweets. I, I can't recommend this enough. Like I was just so incredibly delighted by all of the choices that they put out. They also had, um, it, it was very misleading looking. They also had a sweet and it's inside, uh, it sits inside like a very miniature tart shell and the outer dome of it Looks like it's going to be red velvet because it's this deep sort of a maroony icing that's on the outside. But when you bite into it, it's actually cinnamon, apples, and a mousse. Oh, uh, nani? Yeah, it was just like, it was delightful. sounds amazing. This, like every single thing that I had on that tray, I have zero complaints about any of it. Normally I go for high tea and I'm like, oh, I like these the best. 
Uh, some things I didn't care for, but I never hate anything, right? This is the best holiday high tea I've ever, ever had. And I've been to a lot. That sounds so amazing. Like, I, I had dinner three hours ago. I don't need to eat anything for the rest of the night. But I'm hungry now. I feel it in my stomach. The pit of my stomach is just like, yes. I have developed ears and I'm hearing everything you're saying. The brain isn't in on this. The stomach is just demanding. What I'm hearing is that you are going to be secretly booking one of these for later. So they do high tea on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. And you can book for a reservation. It wasn't actually too hard to book for a reservation because their seating is so uh, so available. They have so many places to seat you. So a lot of the places I've been for high tea have very limited seating. So because Dean House has so many places to sit. And like even if you can't make it for high tea, just go for brunch. Their brunches are also amazing. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. Am I, am I hearing podcast uh, brunch? Hell yeah. Sometime, maybe in the new year. Hell yeah. Brunches, mm. Their brunches are, mm, mm. They have one of these, like, reimagined mac and cheeses that I just love. Oh. Yeah. Mac and cheese Mm. was actually kind of my, not mac and cheese. No, I'm stupid. I made grilled (laughs) cheese for dinner, not mac and cheese. It's, it's, it's a baked pasta and there's a lot of cheese and a lot of cream and it's, oh gosh, it's so good. Oh, Mac and cheese is one of those dishes that you can do in so many different ways Mm. that it's just, it is impossible to even imagine, but all I can say for certain is that it must be amazing. The beauty of mac and cheese is that you can use any cheese that you like. Of course. And it's going to be amazing. You can even use different toppings or no toppings if you want. Exactly. There's there's this like very base. This is how you make a roux. This is how you make like a thick creamy sauce. And yeah. then you just change the cheese. You change the cheese. Melt different cheese or different ratios of cheese in it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, my personal favorite is Asiago, Parmesan and a little bit of mozza. I normally am uh if I'm doing mac and cheese, it's usually just like a cheap comfort food night. So I'm usually using some medium cheddar mixed with a couple other things that might have been on sale. Okay. And then, of course, you got to have the topping. You got to have the breadcrumb topping. Grate some parm onto there as well. Do you Uh, like goat's cheese? Goat goat cheese? Yeah. I've never had goat cheese on its own. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to tell you something. There is a black pepper goat cheese that you can get at any grocery store. Any grocery store. If you sort of just cut like a little chunk off of the end of like the little tube that you buy and you put it as your topping before you spread breadcrumbs on top of your mac and cheese when you put it into the broiler for a few minutes. Chef's kiss. It is so good. Oh my God. I'll have to try that then. I'll have to do that. Uh, so Next good. level mac and cheese is important. I guess there's going to be a cooking stream or something at some point. <laughs> yes. A mac and cheese off. Oh my gosh. Could you imagine like a holiday uh, friend miss? And what we do is we just all bring a different mac and cheese. I'd be down. <laughs> this actually said like that on, on one hand, that sounds like too much mac and cheese. 
But I don't think the phrase too much mac and cheese has ever seriously been said in the history of humanity. So if we, if like, let's say three or four households had a friend miss together and uh, each household brings a reasonable amount of mac and cheese. Everyone has a sampling and then they go back for their favorite and then we also probably just have a salad on the side. That's probably fine. Well, the salad makes everything healthy, you see. Yes, exactly. Like you may have just eaten a pound and a half of mac and cheese, but the tiny bowl of salad just, it makes it a healthy meal. Anything to balance out all the cream, butter, and cheese entering your bloodstream at this moment. Exactly. So they had gourmet mac and cheese. This leaves the question. This begs the question. How was the tea? So when you go, they give you a full menu of the different teas that they have available. They have a large section of herbal teas, several of which I really, really wanted to try. They have two green teas, a strawberry fields and an imperial jasmine. And then they have a fair amount of black teas, which I think a lot of people usually gravitate towards for afternoon tea because that's just the traditional afternoon tea. They had a spiced chai. Oh. Would have been lovely with any single one of those sweet things that I had. I went for a flowery Earl Grey. Now, the flower that they're using is either a cornflower or something that just lends a bit of that, like, that sweetness, that aromaticness that flowers generally lend to a tea. But it wasn't like a strong tasting tea. It wasn't like you know, as identifiable as jasmine. It wasn't like a rose tea. It wasn't something that was really strong. So I I suspect it was cornflowers. The flowery Earl Grey was amazing. Nice. Amazing. It was one of the smoothest Earl Greys I've ever had. There are many Earl Greys that you can buy that taste really good, but they tend to come off bitter if you oversteep it even by a little bit. This one is very well suited to be in a teapot because you're going to have your tea leaves in the pot, it's going to sit there because you can't fit the entire pot's contents in a single teacup. So you're going to be pouring yourself different cups, you know, over the course of your high tea. But this one, mm-hmm, very smooth. Very, very smooth. You love to hear it. Yes. And these have been the foodie adventures of Nancy of this current week. Wonderful. It's been wonderful. Um, I definitely deserved a nice treat today because I worked like a four and a half extra hours yesterday. I was hoping it was only going to be like an extra two hours. It turned into four and a half when things started going sideways. Yeah, that's not fun. It never is. No, it's really not. Like that's more than half of a shift. Yes. And uh, I don't get paid overtime. Oh, God, that's even worse. Working on a Saturday is not fun. But you know what? High tea today, made up for it. That was my treat to myself for a job well done. Yeah. Job well done. And paid in food. Can't can't complain. Ugh. Normally I like to be paid in money, but paid in food just... Sometimes it hits just right. Or paid in spare keyboard parts, you know. Oh yeah. I think one of the most memorable times I was paid in food... And I say this, I was also paid in money, but I was also paid in food this day. Uh, Back when I was a plumber, because every Italian goes through their plumbing phase, Ah. uh, 
the boss, Johnny over Johnny, brings me back to his house where his mom is making some fresh pasta. Oh. She's got mm. the homemade noodles, mm. homemade egg noodles from made from the eggs of the chickens in their backyard. Oh my gosh. I think from the vegetables they grew their own tomatoes and everything for the sauce. Oh and my gosh. Uh, Amazing. They don't buy their own cheese because you can't make you can't make the Parmigiano Reggiano here in Canada. You can try, but it's not Parmigiano Reggiano. <laughs> of course. It was fantastic. I bet. That is that is the paid in food experience that I always remember. I have exceptionally lovely Italian neighbors, and they like to show affection, thanks, even uh, just having an excuse to see you. And they do all of those things through food. I'm fairly certain. I'm fairly certain. A linguist could correct me on this, but I'm fairly certain that the main method of uh, communication in Italy is food. Like, people say that, oh, uh, of course, words are only, like, 10% of the message. The other 90% of the message is, is tone or body language. No, uh, in Italy, the majority of the language is food. Ah. The rest of it is just to add context. So, I come from a Chinese household, and uh, how you ask, how are you, is you ask, have you eaten yet? Nice. <laughs> so that is the greeting. It's not, oh, how are you today? It's, have you eaten yet? Whether it's a phone call, whether it's a house call, it doesn't matter. That is how you greet anyone. That is so wonderful. I love that. It's delightful. And you now, know what's going to be delightful? Next week's podcast episode. Have you eaten yet? Have you eaten yet? Dear listener, bye-bye. Bye-bye.